All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to our first episode of the Buffalo Beat, in which we have actually witnessed some football practices. We are recording this on Wednesday, August 19th, around noon. Uh, Matthew Fairburn and I both just got back from uh, being over kind of a, a half session, you know, no pads, half speed sort of thing. But the first two practices were everything that we expected football to be outside of the the live tackling. I mean, full pads, physicality, hitting. It's just nice to actually get out and get some fresh air, if I'm honest, um, and watch a football practice. But all that said, it was our first glimpse at seeing the 2020 Buffalo Bills roster. Seems like it's taken forever to get us to this point, but uh, Matthew Fairburn, we are here, and I'm excited to talk about it. I don't know about you. Yeah, it's felt good to be out there watching football. It, it doesn't, it's not quite the same, right? We're not heading down uh, to St. John Fisher College and, uh, you know, we're not roaming around the sidelines. There's not fans around, but certainly the football itself looks a lot, you know, a lot like it always does. Uh, there's mm-hmm. not a ton different because of, uh, you know, the COVID protocols and everything else from an actual football standpoint, from uh, our standpoint, certainly there has been, I know we've gotten quite a few questions on Twitter and, and in our, you know, observation posts over at the athletic about the rules in place for media. And maybe we, maybe we start off here and, and give people an idea of, mm-hmm. you know, some of that we we've, you know, we're in one spot on the field, so we're not really able to get the exact vantage point that we used to get in terms of moving around and, you know, seeing different things. And because fans aren't there and because the the NFL teams aren't playing preseason games, there are more restrictions in terms of what we can report and what we can't report. So we are not allowed to, you know, make observations on the depth chart uh we're not allowed to report them we're not allowed to tweet um at all during practice uh the the rules on video and and photos are the same you know those first 15 minutes of stretch an individual we can tweet if the team is live streaming a practice um and you know our our reports can't include who's practicing with the first and second team who's getting special teams reps, who's playing where on the offensive line. But we can tell you who is practicing and who isn't. And we can tell you non-strategy and non-game plan observations. So this is in part a Bills policy, in part a league policy. The league had a sort of guidelines in terms of what it should look like if You know, at first they thought it would just be pool reporters that would go in and, you know, get a snapshot of camp um, for these various teams. Then they realized they would have a little bit more space. And so it's sort of a hybrid of of those initial ones that people might have seen that the NFLPA put out. And then, um, you know, this. And I think, you know, from the Bills perspective, it is a competitive deal that that's, you know, the way they're looking at it is if. People know who's playing where. Um, it's a competitive disadvantage for them, and and I think people know well enough by now the way Sean McDermott is, and um, you know the the way he 
kind of wants to protect some of that information. So some have asked why we would agree to this. Well, we don't really have much of a choice. Uh, you know, we're in there. Uh, that's a start. Um, you know, that was sort of part of the, the PFWA policy that we normally have gets thrown out the window um, with COVID. You know, we're supposed to have four days of open locker room uh, a week during the regular season. That won't be happening. Um, a lot of things will look different. And so the policy kind of had to be reworked on the fly. We had to sort of come to a middle ground a little bit. And I think because there's no fans and because there's no preseason games, really we're the only ones getting eyes on these guys. And so they, you know, they felt the need to tighten up uh, some of the restrictions. These aren't unique to the Bills. I would say the Bills are on the stricter end of the scale, but there are other teams uh, enforcing similar policies. There are some that are a bit more lenient that, you know, you might see their reporters tweeting out a little bit more. So um, if we're uh, speaking around certain things on the podcast, people know why. Yes. And if you also hear us fumbling through it, <laughs> you'll also start to understand, okay, well, y we have to be pretty careful with what we're allowed to report and all of that all of that uh, that goes along with it just because of um, the rules that were put down but once the first regular season game happens then everything from that point forward uh, in terms of saying where uh, people are playing because everyone will be able to see it by that point so um, so yes uh, with what Fairburn said we can't we also can't report where uh players are practicing like specific positions but what we can talk about is performance technique all these different things specific uh uh specific instances throughout practice that that were kind of noteworthy and there is there is a middle ground here to find ways to to kind of divvy up and figure out what's going on at practice without being able to report the the finite details and once um, the, the COVID-19 worries were clear of those, which who knows when that'll be, but hopefully by next year. And if there's, if there's, you know, these open practices and, you know, preseason games, those restrictions will start to get scaled back. That, that would be the optimistic approach. With yeah, it anyway. that but would, I, that would be, the I, whole, I understand why know. they're doing it, knowing, knowing the bills and the personalities behind them. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a, a balancing act in terms of, you know, the PFWA has some power, but it doesn't have, um, you know, all the power. And so, you know, to get reporters in there, in the, you know, into these practices and, um, you know, seeing some things, you know, there are some teams that are doing, you know, you can come to practice, but it's all off the record, which is really awkward, you know, because how do you pretend you didn't see something, which is sort of what we have to do, but you got, everybody's, got to compromise a little bit. Um, you'd rather be able to do your job the way we're doing it this year than not do it at all. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think, you know, certainly would we like to be able to, to reveal some, some depth chart elements? Uh, I feel like that would be to me, not a massive competitive, you know, edge. And, you know, my thought on it was certainly that if I'm a guy at the bottom of the roster, I'd prefer that uh, everybody around the league know whether I'm not getting reps and know whether I might become available. Uh, but the teams do have the leeway here. And, you know, like you said, there's enough that we can say without, 
um, revealing that sort of thing. And it gives fans an idea of, you know, how guys are looking, who's doing well, and doesn't necessarily, you know, put the bills at a disadvantage when week one rolls around. Mm-hmm. Yes, and the bills aren't uh, aren't totally dissimilar from other teams throughout the league. For instance, within the last half hour, um, Green Bay, uh, the Packers have just changed their policy to be to go more in line with the Bills, um, and from what it was previously throughout training camp there. So it seems like teams that weren't doing it are maybe rethinking how they were doing it and as they get closer to the season. So it's whatever edge these teams can find in a very weird year, they're going to do so. And it, it seems like that's the bills are just part of, of that trend, but that's enough about that because you know, we can sit here. It's insider baseball. People want to know who's people want to know what we can tell them. And we got plenty to tell them. So, so who has caught your eye so far? Because I think there has been at least a, a pretty substantial handful that, that have looked the part so far in, in the first few practices that we've seen and, and certainly with, with how the, uh, the team might view them as well. Yeah, I think the, the interesting part about training camp this year is you know we're sort of getting thrown into the middle of it in a way. Normally we would have a whole spring of OTAs and mini camp followed by, you know, the early part of training camp, which is usually without pads. And then the pads come on here. We're getting, uh, sort of, they crammed together the spring and the first, you know, week or so of training camp into two weeks of training camp that we were not able to watch. And then we get, you know, out there for padded practices I don't think the team has, you know, I think the big expectation for a lot of people that cover the NFL is, oh, that this team's going to look, whatever team you cover is going to look really sloppy in the first few days. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's looked necessarily, you know, more or less sloppy than it normally would, you know? Um, You know, I think it's relatively looked like you would expect a training camp to look hasn't looked totally different in terms of who has jumped out. Uh, I think naturally you gravitate towards the new players, um, that you haven't seen in person, which is a lot of players for us. Uh, And the receivers, the rookie receivers, Gabriel Davis and Isaiah Hodgins body type wise and the way they move around, they fit in very much. So, uh, as NFL caliber players, I think we all expected, when they were drafted that, you know, Robert Foster and Duke Williams would be on notice, frankly. And Mm -hmm. after watching practice for a couple of days, I I think that even more so uh, because I, you know, Gabriel Davis missed Tuesday, but you know, the way he played on Monday and, you know, just seeing how he moves around uh, he's, he's a physical player. Same goes for Hodgins and Hodgins finally got out of the red, no contact Jersey today. So, uh, tomorrow we should get to see a different, uh, you know, a different element to him uh, where corners can be a little bit more physical with him. But in terms of the way they they move around, they're not they don't seem lost. And I think with a guy like Hodgins in particular, we've seen a lot of those types of receivers that are tall and um, have similar measurements. 
but have looked a lot skinnier than he does. And I think he has the build to hold up, um, you know, given the way that he plays the game and the, and what they'll likely ask him to do as kind of a, a red zone type of guy. Um, he, I think both those guys fit in really well, and I'm not necessarily pessimistic about their ability to mix in a little bit you know, when the, when the season starts, um, you know, yep. I don't think they don't need to lean on those guys, but they have the, the skill to, you know, to be available and be ready if they're called upon given, you know, how much shuffling could go on with every, everything related to the virus. Yeah. I think you're, you're dead on with, um, with, with Gabe Davis. I mean, just, just the presence of him makes Robert Foster expendable. I mean, Foster is a, or at least he's been throughout his career so far, so far, just a, a one position wide receiver player um, has, he came into his own a little bit on special teams in regular season last year, but the bills, I mean, we've heard Heath Farwell say that they think they have two of the, the best gunners in the NFL and Saran Neal and, and Taiwan Jones. And guess where Robert Foster played last year at the gunner spot. So that, that does it as well. Did not have a good first day of practice. Um, and then, you know, worst case scenario for him, especially when he's trying to crack the back end of this roster and it needs a really good camp to do it is in the concussion protocol at this point. So, all of these different elements lead to, lead you to believe that Foster, if he's able to get back in time, um, by the time final cutdowns come, because you never know with concussion protocol, that they he needs to put really big practices together, and I just don't know that he can do it. So Gabriel Davis being able to play what they what they think multiple spots based on his skill set. I'm less optimistic about him being able to factor in in the slot for like the the more you know quick hitting inside out routes. Uh, it, just in some of the individual drills, it didn't seem like he had the same type of fluidity as like uh, a Cole Beasley would or, or a smaller type of type of guy that that seems to gravitate toward that. Um, it, it just seems a, a little bit. Uh, like there's a little bit wasted movement there and that could hurt some separation. But I think the other two spots he could absolutely, absolutely factor in. And, and I'm with you. I think, I think he could uh, definitely mix in to where, you know, last year we saw Robert Foster get, I don't know, 10% of snaps, sometimes 15%, just depending on the game. And I think that could easily be Gabriel Davis's role. Um, just and we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but you see the physicality, you see the strength, you see the the speed, you see the ability to separate, you see the ability to have a, a converted catch, which is something Robert Foster struggles with. So it all leads you to the same conclusion that Davis has been a, a really nice addition for them so far. What can he do once they actually get to a game? Because you know, you know as well as I do with practices training camp OTAs everything along the same lines you can fall victim to good practices from a receiver especially it seems like one, that's just one of those spots but what can he do once they actually get into a game unfortunately for them it's something they won't be able to see until uh, the the lights go on so to speak yeah and you know you don't draft a guy in the fourth round if you're not prepared to get him involved in some way as a rookie, because you know that's a 
a pretty high draft pick. Uh, that's about the line where I say you're, you're trying to, that guy's part of your plans uh, in some way. And especially in a receiver class like this one where a fourth round pick, you know, probably could have gone, you know, mid to late third in, in some other years, uh, given the, the crowded nature of the class on, especially on day two. So he definitely has the skill set. You know, we heard John Brown talking about how these rookie receivers are so far ahead of any they've ever seen. They're helping out the veterans. Sean McDermott said that was a little bit exaggerated. He said, you know, he, he didn't want to <laughs> give... It felt it at the time. <laughs> right. He, he didn't want to give the rookies too much credit, right? You know, my thought when John Brown said that was like, man, these veterans should probably know their playbooks a little better. Uh, <laughs> if a guy who got it two months ago is teaching them the ropes, uh, I don't know who exactly John Brown is talking about, but if he needs a tutorial from from Gabriel Davis, then John Brown ought to be studying a little bit more. But it does speak to the idea that mentally these guys aren't, you know, players who are going to be behind the eight ball. Uh, you know, all rookies to some extent will be behind where they would have been in a normal offseason. But, uh, you know, I think Gabriel Davis, maybe more so than Isaiah Hodgins, has some some catch up to do in terms of, you know, he didn't run a ton of routes uh, at UCF. Hodgins, I think, was a little bit more advanced, but both of them seem like Brian Dable was talking about how smart they were right after they drafted them. It was a big reason they liked both of the players. So there's one thing to know the playbook, know your role, do those things. It's another to learn how to run routes the way that the Bills want you to run routes and the way that you need to run routes in order to consistently get separation in the NFL. That's probably where the learning curve comes in for these guys, more so than knowing their responsibilities. But the physical talent for both uh, is there. And, uh, you know, certainly Gabriel Davis almost blends some of Robert Foster and Duke Williams. You know, he's got the physicality that Foster lacks, uh, that, you know, Duke Williams has, but he's got, you know, not quite Robert Foster speed, but he has speed. Uh, so he's, he's, you know, a nice little talent and, you know, how much he, he can get involved remains to be seen. And, you know, it's more of a projection than ever without preseason games, but, uh, early returns are definitely positive there. Yeah. And one quick thing on, uh, Isaiah Hodgins, that you can definitely tell that the size is there with him. I think the one area that he's going to have to really work through is just an overall lack of separation. He's a better route runner than Duke Williams, don't get me wrong, and, and he's that's going to help him. But there's also been times where I have seen him get into a little bit of trouble just with a, a defender right on his hip, and then and then he has to push off right at the last second to get that last second separation to actually make the catch. And one specific example of that, and this was a this was a play that even the Bills put a video out of, um, where he made a catch over Levi Wallace. But that was actually incredible coverage by Levi Wallace throughout that rep. And right at the last second, as the ball was put in the air. Hodgins gave a full-armed, two-arm shove to, into the back of Levi Wallace to get the separation. And to his credit, came came down with the catch. But, you know, 
nine times out of ten, that's pass interference on the offense, and that is not a highlight play on on a Twitter feed. So you know, just just take things with a grain of salt, like these specific things that you might see come with highlights and everything like that. There's there's a there's two sides to every story with that, but that's something he needs to work to overcome. But the size and definitely the route running and and the nuance of his route running is particularly solid i i've found through the the first few days of of watching him work all right let's talk about some of these other rookies because i feel like that's the question we get the most about especially in a year like this where fans won't be able to actually get to see the rookies until until the regular season comes along and and even when they do it's probably going to be in a much smaller role than it would have been in a preseason game so let's let's start with aj epinesa just because he was their their top pick um you know, he said after practice today that uh, defensive line coach Eric Washington has been moving him around everywhere from both defensive end spots to the three technique at defensive tackle to one technique defensive tackle. These these are things that Epinesa said that that they've done so far. So uh, from that perspective, it seems like it seems like the Bills have uh, have a pretty multi a versatile role perhaps even in mind for him or maybe they're just trying stuff out but who knows but but Epinesa so far it I don't know about you it almost seems to me that he looks a little bit lighter than I expected him to like he's listed at 280 but I haven't seen him be like super powerful yet and that was his big calling card at Iowa um, I, I've seen him win a few times uh, around the edge against Trey Adams uh, in the first two days, but it, that that raw power that that we've that was his calling card at Iowa, I just haven't seen that yet. And I don't know, maybe maybe my eyes are playing tricks on me because we're so far away from the defensive lineman. But he almost looks more like a linebacker than he does a defensive end. I I, I don't know about you. Yeah, I think it's hard to. I find it hard sometimes in training camp, uh, especially early on to, you know, I had to laugh and this is unrelated to, to Epinesa, but you know, the, the Washington football team put out a video of Chase Young beating a, an undrafted guy in, in one-on-ones and, you know, yeah. something along the lines of like, oh man, Chase Young's going to be a problem. Well, yeah, he probably will, but he's also not going to be going up against undrafted guys uh, all the time. Uh, so sometimes camp can can be a little bit deceiving in that regard. But when it comes to Epinesa, like you said, we're a little farther away than usual um, to really get the, the nuances of the line play. Normally, we'd be able to get an up-close look at one-on-ones uh, and, and have a real feel for uh, you know the, the power that these guys have. But it, it hasn't stood out just yet with Epinesa. But, I mean, you're not necessarily going to expect a guy that overpowered people in the big 10 to immediately have the same exact um you know success doing so in the right nfl it is you know something to watch though because that's his game you know he he doesn't necessarily have um the top end traits in the other aspects uh, of being a pass rusher so he has to, that's a position where it takes some time to figure things out. And, you know, I know we just talked about the wide receivers potentially having a chance to, you know, make some noise early on and, and you know, carve out some roles. I think Epinesa might have a harder time and it's not an indictment on him 
or his ability to learn, but that's just a, a position where it takes time to get used to handling, you know, stronger, bigger offensive linemen and doing the little things it takes to to beat them consistently. I'm not going to write off his rookie season by any means. I think he's in a perfect spot to only have to contribute in spots. Like you said, he mentioned he's moving all around. They Mm -hmm. can pick their spots with him so that he's not overwhelmed physically. I think that's, you know, also we don't know, you know, how much these guys were able to get done. Normally by this point, he would have been in the weight room for a few months, you know, under the supervision of, of the NFL strength staff, of the Bills strength staff. He was able to have, you know, remote supervision from those guys, but hasn't had the same access uh, to that stuff that um, he would have gotten in a normal offseason. So, yeah, I think it's it's early. We'll start to see more as they go live and we see, you know, what maybe some of these goal line periods look like for him and, and things like that. But um, he hasn't, you know, popped yet. And, mm-hmm. and that's probably the, the best totally way I fair. can put it without knowing – like I said, without being up close, without um, being, you know, an expert on defensive line play, um, it's been two days. So, yes. uh, you know, and a lot of it, you know, that when you add it up, it's like, what, five or six team periods for, for a defensive lineman. So still early, uh, just haven't seen him completely pop yet, but very well could come. Sometimes that type of stuff starts to click for guys. Uh, especially when the intensity of practice ramps up. Yeah, and he's got to get used to the the overall strength of the offensive line too. Like, um, I mean, I mentioned that he he did well getting around Trey Adams, who looks like he's kind of struggling to move a little bit, um, and that was a bit of an issue for him at at Washington as well uh, when when he was playing offensive tackle for them, uh, but when Epinesa was trying to rush at the quarterback, he got engulfed on a combo block by Quentin Spain and Deion Dawkins and, and didn't, couldn't move them at all. Uh, And, you know, that's just not, it's not going to come overnight with a young player when he's trying to learn on the fly with all of these different things happening, learning, what he says four different positions as he's going on it's it's going to it's if anyone's expecting him to start right away I think you would be setting the expectations a little too high for him I think his ideal spot uh, and this is just even coming into training camp would be as a rotational um, defensive lineman figure out where he's best whether it's on the right side or the left side as his base and then you know if if he shows enough uh, and shows enough football intelligence and and shows enough progress throughout time then maybe put more on his plate by sliding him inside like they did at Iowa but you know you don't want to put too much too soon on rookies and that's something that Sean McDermott has been very careful not to do with the majority of his rookies outside of Tremaine Edmonds and Tredavious White who were day one starters so Epinesa still have to see where it goes and I think the last rookie of of note is probably Zach Moss, and man, he was fun on uh, on Tuesday. I'm struggling to remember what day it is already. Uh, he was fun to watch on Tuesday because it wasn't a live session, but when he was getting a carry, he was 
making it as live as possible at, at the end of practice. I mean, he was lowering his shoulder, bowling over defenders, you know, gaining additional yardage. It was really fun to watch because, A, you know, it's not something you would seem from a normal veteran player in a training camp practice because let, let's take, for instance, Frank Gore last year. He knows that he's he's not going to put those type of hits on himself in a practice when he's at that stage of his career. But Moss was trying to, you know, garner some some uh, some kudos from his teammates and his coaches. You know, he ran with force, was the low man, was was knocking people back. It was it was it was pretty fun to watch a player like that, especially when we haven't seen actual hits for such a long time. Yeah, he's he's gonna be he's fun. a factor. You know, he <laughs> yeah. he's a good player. He's physical. He's a different running back than Devin Singletary, although they do some of the same things well. He they have different styles and how they go about it. And I think Zach Moss is probably the rookie that you would expect to make the biggest impact in twenty twenty. Uh, if you know, if we're looking at things in a one year window. He's got the opportunity. He's got the skill set. And frankly, I think the training camp as it's set up um, and and the offseason, how it's set up, I think will be a good thing for a guy like Zach Moss, who had a lot of wear and tear on his body at Utah, you know, different, you know, various injuries. I say this often. I, I said it last year a lot when it came to Devin Singletary. I would not have been giving him that much work. Uh, I, I think overworking your running backs in training camp is is not always necessary there is a a balancing act you want his body to be ready to take the live action when the season starts but both of those guys you know Singletary had a ton of you know carries in college a huge huge workload Moss did as well but also Moss had more injuries so you know to get him to the regular season fresh to get both of those guys to the regular season fresh would be great. And like you said, some of that uh, is out of the bill's control because when Moss is on the field practicing, he's ready to hit people. And, yes, very and, much you so. know, that's, you know, a guy that, that is, you know, that's what makes him who he is. And that's certainly, like you said, it, it's fun to watch. He's, they're going to be a nice little tandem. I, I think in the backfield, both, you know, Singletary and Moss give them, I think a a much better one-two punch at running back this year, especially Singletary in year two. And it, it makes you wonder what the offense will look like because now they've got certainly more weapons in the passing game uh, than they had last year with the addition of Stephon Diggs, with Dawson Knox being a year older. Uh, so plenty of places to throw the ball if they want to throw the ball all over the yard. But also... They've got, uh, you know, a backfield that could do some damage as well. So mm-hmm. a lot of options for uh, Brian Dable as he's calling plays and a lot of firepower for Josh Allen to work with in year three. And because Moss a, can catch, too. He, we've that, seen that I was the just first about to couple say that. of days. And, yeah, I was, and so can Singletary. But Moss can, uh, can make plays out of the backfield when he's asked to do it. That's the primary difference between Moss and a Frank Gore last year because if, if – you're not you're not putting the ball in Frank Gore's hands and expecting to get much yardage uh, from a reception standpoint. It was that's that's what made the Bills so one-dimensional whenever he was on the field and why his effectiveness just 
just came down so, so tremendously much um, over the last two months of the season, which is why they spent that type of resource, a third round pick on a guy like Zach Moss, if he brings that receiving ability to his game, along with the between the tackles running style, all of these different things, it should make for a multifaceted uh, offensive attack led by Josh Allen. But the Josh Allen point is a perfect segue because we're going to get into something that Sean McDermott um, said or how he responded to a question that kind of uh, made us both perk our ears up a little bit. But we're going to do that in just a minute. But first, a message from our sponsors at Bloomberg. You know, the economy is getting back underway, and with it, so is the world of pro sports. Myself and Matthew Fairburn, we're back at uh, we're back at football practices. We've been there for you f- for a few days. It's been fun to see. And then, of course, you have basketball in full swing with their playoff playoffs, which has been really fun to watch so far. Hockey playoffs are going on. Uh, baseball, their regular season, still still going on, and um, even happening in in downtown Buffalo with the uh, with the Blue Jays happening. So stay ahead of the curve with the unparalleled tools of two world class news desks covering developments across finance, economic economics, technology and sports. You can do so by subscribing to Bloomberg.com. And if you are not already an athletic subscriber, for a limited time, receive a complimentary subscription to The Athletic. All you have to do is go to Bloomberg.com slash subscribe to sign up today. And again, if you're not already an athletic subscriber, for a limited time, you can receive a complimentary subscription to The Athletic. Again, that's Bloomberg.com slash subscribe to sign up today. All right, now to the the segue that I teased, because I think it's important to know the context of what Sean Mc, or the comments Sean McDermott made uh, on Wednesday uh, in regards to Josh Allen and and the question behind them, uh, and certainly by doing so, I think it would be only appropriate to play the audio of it and. Uh, the uh, the questions were asked by John Warrow of the Associated Press. Um, and it, it was it was an interesting conversation, and I didn't exactly expect McDermott to answer it in the way that he did. So before we get into our thoughts on what he said, first we should let you in on what he actually said and, and the exact questions as they were asked. So here's that from uh, from Wednesday morning. Of all the things that keep you up at night football-related, um, be it, you know, defense, injuries, COVID, all the hope hoops that you've had to jump through, where does Josh Allen's progress and development rank on that list? Oh, I'd say it's at the top of the list. Um, you know, it's, it's been, been fun to watch Josh put in the work in the off-seasons um, to grow his game, develop his game, polish his game. Um, it's also been fun to watch him grow as a leader on our football team. Um, and, and also I would say, get to know Josh even more. Uh, obviously we, we, uh, felt like we unearthed a lot of who he was going through the draft process, but until you're around people multiple years, you really don't know them as well as you, as well as you want to. And so now in year three, um, you know, just seeing him grow uh, as a young man on and off the field, has been, been a, been fun to watch and um you know he's he's highly competitive as I mentioned earlier with some of those defensive players Josh's 
Josh is very similar. He, he has that, that mindset, as we've all seen on the football field, and he's competitive to the point um, that he wants to continue to grow his game just as much as anyone. Because just, just as a quick follow, just because the one narrative outside of Buffalo that I see is the only thing, only question mark on this team really is Josh Allen's development. Where, you know, what do you make of that, of that narrative, I guess? Well, I think that that's understandable, um, you know, for a, for a quarterback who most people know who Josh is. And, um, you know, until you're able to um, silence that, uh, it's going to continue to come up. And, and uh, I think, you know, at the end of the day, Josh wants to prove himself inside the building first. And I think he continues to do that and show his teammates who he is and what he's capable of. And, and uh, you know, I've been around some quarterbacks who – started off very much like Josh has and um, have, have developed and played at a high level and Donovan McNabb and Cam Newton. And, um, and so that's, that takes time. And uh, in particular at the quarterback position, there's a lot to balance, uh, but we're encouraged by Josh's development and the time he put in uh, when he was away from us every, every off season, including this off season, he's worked on his game and, and um, he continues to polish game and polish his game and get on the same pitch with, with his receivers uh, over the last couple of weeks now. All right, so Matt, I think the first thing that kind of stood out to me was how he how he immediately said, "Oh, the, for things that keep him up at night from a football-related standpoint, his young quarterback progress is at the top of the list." And I also found it interesting in in the second uh, in his second answer when he was discussing, you know, until till you prove it on the field, then those, those things aren't going to, you know, calm down or, or, you know, they, they won't come to a, come to a stop. So that's, that's kind of a removal from not a, not a total removal because he was still very complimentary of, uh, of his young quarterback, but all the same, I mean, it's still kind of him going, okay, well admitting that, this this one's big for Josh Allen to start to prove some some doubters wrong in, in year three, and I, I think it's totally justified, and I like that that he said these things. Yeah, he was acknowledging reality in a lot of ways because right. it's a conversation that everybody is having, and he's not, you know, certainly, you know, unaware that you know those conversations happen, and that there's a lot of attention paid to the quarterback position around the league. And I think he also knows how good of a team they've built outside of that. And so certainly that should be at the top of your mind is, you know, how far can this team go? Well, as far as 17 takes them, frankly. Mm -hmm. And I I think everybody in that building knows that. And a lot of the messaging that comes out from various players, uh, you know, is in line with that of, you know, Oh, you know, Josh Allen's, we heard Cole Beasley say he's, he's attempting throws. He wouldn't even have attempted last year, which I, to what extent that's true. I don't know to what extent it matters. I don't know until we get to the games, right. Until we see him attempt those throws in the games. I never thought it was an issue of him not attempting certain throws last year, but yeah, to, to have the head coach acknowledge that, especially given how guarded he typically is, I thought was was a little bit interesting uh, to end his his comments on Wednesday. You know, he he knows that 
there's more needed. There's a next step needed from where Mm -hmm. he was last year. And I think they all recognize a little bit more pressure organizationally, which happens when expectations go up. Talk about the standard and uh, the way they like to do things and things like that. Um, You know, they, they know that the pressure comes along with what they've done to this point. And I think all of that starts with the quarterback. And, you know, it was a bit of a human moment from Sean McDermott acknowledging that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it takes me back to his press conference when uh, right after his extension and and how he made it clear to uh, to the Pagulas in order to resign that there had to be an acknowledgement from both parties to to get things the way that he wants it to look. And the exact quote was, it's great to acknowledge what we've been able to accomplish to this point, but also being on the same page for what for where we see it moving forward. That was an important piece. We still have work to do and how we want that work to unfold and what it needs to look like. That's the key right there. What it needs to look like for us to win a world championship. Those, those words, without saying the word quarterback basically to me scream the word quarterback because it's not to say that he's out on Josh Allen by any means. He's very hopeful. He likes how he works. He likes how he takes command of the locker room. He likes the progress that he's made. All of these different things can still be true while acknowledging the reality of the situation as the way that you put it. Acknowledging that you need that quarterback to be firing on all cylinders, being one of the best players on your team, being able to Put the team on his back at times and and deliver a victory against all odds. Um, that's the type of quarterback play that world champions most often have. There are exceptions to the rule. I mean, you've you've seen there there are. Let's see. Everyone thinks back to the the Trent Dilfer led Baltimore Ravens back in like 2000, but there have been specific examples since then of of other teams that have gotten hot with a, with a good defense. And, you know, Joe Flacco, Joe Flacco, Nick Foles, Nick Foles, Foles, Eagles come to mind. Like all there are, there are exceptions to the rule, but more often than not, it's overwhelming quarterback play that gets you there. And that keeps you there for, for the long term. So I think for, for McDermott, the acknowledgement of that after the contract extension is especially important and, now, what are we, a week removed from his contract extension? And now saying, hey, his progress is the thing, football-related thing that, that tops the list of keeping me up at night. I mean, to me, that, that's, that's a coach that's going, okay, it's time for this guy to take that next step. There's really no other way around it. I mean, it's, it's logical. It's common sense. If they want to get to where they want to go to, I mean, McDermott has alluded to it in in more vague terms in the past. It's like, you know, I want the offense to score more points. We got to score more points. Well, how do you score more points? You get better quarterback play. It's it's kind of a hand in hand thing. And now that he's actually, you know, feeling more comfortable in in saying certain things like this, I think it's it's noteworthy to tuck this quote and these comments in the back pocket throughout the season, throughout the off season if things don't go the way that the Bills necessarily want it to with Josh Allen. And and again, this is not to say that they are doomed with him and that they think he is destined for failure or anything like that. 
all of those, all of the other things that McDermott said about Allen in those answers were very complimentary of Allen and the work that he's done so far. And, and for good reason, because he has progressed in specific areas, but there are still things that are holding him back. And that's what he needs to overcome. Yeah, I think what the comments suggest and what, you know, especially, you know, in the context of Sean McDermott getting his contract extension, there is a an urgency that that frankly didn't exist before and not because and I'm not just talking about their words. Sean McDermott can, you know, certainly uses the term urgency from time to time. And I still remember asking him after, um, you know, at one of those season ending, uh, you know, press conferences about the, the balance between, you know, during the 2018 season, recognizing, uh, you know, that it would you would need the patience for a, a, a bit of a rebuild, but also, you know, showing some urgency and not just totally uh, having a lousy season. And, and he took a little bit of an exception and, and, you know, he's always, he's urgent, you know, that that's his mm-hmm. personality, mm-hmm. but there's an urgency that you can't manufacture that now exists in year four with the expectations. When your quarterback's in year two, there's not necessarily the same level of, of urgency for him to be, at a certain point if you look historically you'd like your quarterback to have broken out by year two but it it doesn't mean it has to happen the way they've built the team and the reality of the nfl and the nature of it in terms of sustaining success with the salary cap and everything else you have windows Uh, you can extend those windows with really good quarterback play but the way they're built at the moment with a quarterback who's still young and developing, they're entering one of those windows to compete for a championship. And they are in it. <laughs> they're in it. Yeah. They're 2020 is it, I, I think, is the start of the window. And this might be 2020, 2021 might be the best chance that they have. Um, we don't know what, you know, the long-term future looks like certainly mm-hmm. windows tend to to open a bit more some years and close a bit more in others depending on you know what you have to do to maintain a healthy salary cap uh you know which guys depart uh, which guys you know who you know when age catches up to certain players but the big element to all of that is is the quarterback play and so i think with the level of job security that sean mcdermott has and the level of uh, confidence he has in his defense and the job that that Brandon Bean and his staff have done assembling a really talented roster. Yeah, you can you can put a little bit more of that public pressure on Josh Allen. Not just he didn't put him on blast. He didn't say it's make or break or do or die or anything like that. But he acknowledged the reality of the situation, which Josh Allen would would probably acknowledge as well. I just don't think we've heard any of them out loud suggest that, you know, it's something that that is on their mind. Uh, but even when I asked Brandon Bean about it on the Tim Graham show right after the season about the idea of having an insurance option in case he doesn't work out, like the thought of Josh Allen not working out had not entered Brandon Bean's mind. And if it had, he didn't express it publicly. I believe you asked him either before the draft or after the draft sometime in the spring um, about, you know, the confidence in Josh Allen. And, you know, he 
took a shot at the critics and, and you know, expressed how confident he was in him. Not to say mm-hmm. Sean McDermott didn't do that on Wednesday. He just had a human moment where he, you know, mm-hmm. said, well, yeah, when he puts his head down on the pillow, um, you know, that's one of the things at the top of his mind. And why wouldn't it be? It's probably on the top of most fans' minds uh, mm-hmm. of, you know, how good can this quarterback be? Because the big part of that is, you know, we acknowledge the the one side of it, right, where if he goes one way, uh, it changes the trajectory of how they, they build this team and, you know, how set up they are over the next four years. It changes that, that window that we talked about. The flip side of it is if he's good, you know, this team is, is really good. This team is right there mm. with, you know, the best in the conference if, if he takes that next step. And that's as much probably part of it as, as anything for the Bills is not knowing what you're going to get when, when you open the present under the tree on, you know, the, the first week of the season in September is, you know, if, is this guy going to be a new player? Because, you know, we'll know pretty quickly, probably in that first month, uh, just how big of a step he's taken. And from there, you can set the bar for, for how high this team could go. There's also this little element to it as well. I mean, Sean McDermott is an extremely calculated person. I think that would be a fair assessment of, of the man. He has also done things through the media to that he know he knew would probably get to his players. You know, case in point being Shaq Lawson, Deion Dawkins. It woke both of those guys up. Both of them have signed very lucrative contracts. Um, you know, Lawson not with Buffalo, of course, but Deion Dawkins just signing a four-year, $60 million extension. So he knows that these things work at times and getting more out of players. I wonder if there was any element of that to it. And not to say that, or maybe it was just a completely human moment, and like, like you said, and where, where he was being forthright with what worries him the most, potentially, or what, uh, what uh, keeps him up at night is the way that it was termed. But I wonder if it was just like a little jolt just to provide that extra little ounce of motivation for for Josh Allen you know it doesn't really seem like Allen pays too much attention to that sort of stuff but if he catches wind maybe that's just a little little piece of the puzzle and furthermore this whole conversation is underscored by something that we have brought up on this podcast basically since March which is the looming decision on the fifth year option, which is guaranteed for the 2022 season. I mean, that will be a humongous jump in salary for Josh Allen into the 20 million territory. And if they are going to make that much of a financial commitment, especially after his third season, they're going to have to see that he is either on his way to being the guy that they want him to be or to be that guy, because that $20 million can be spent a lot of different places on your team, especially if you're looking for another quarterback in a couple of years. So that's that's why this, this season is so important for so many reasons for Josh Allen. The, the fifth-year option point, um, the confidence of the head coach point, um, taking advantage of this window on, under his rookie contract, taking advantage of a really talented roster basically everywhere else. 
I mean, there are so many things at stake here for him. Yeah, and I think the point about whether this is, you know, some sort of motivation tactic or, you know, what's interesting about the quarterback spot to me is how much differently it gets treated than the rest of the roster, especially it, it's so obvious when you have a a coaching staff and a front office like this one that has one speci- you know one message that is consistent nearly all the time about competition, everybody having to earn their spot and really, you know, hesitating to name starters and and different things like that. So to me, it hasn't always applied to the quarterback because you have to take a more delicate approach, or it seems like they feel they have to take a more delicate approach, especially in those first few years as a guy is developing. Um, You know, it's different talking about that guy having to earn it. You need a leader on your team, a defined starter. But I think you also don't want it to go the other way to the point where Josh Allen thinks he's arrived as a franchise quarterback. I don't think he thinks that, but I think it would be easy for him to think that based on the attention he gets from the fan base or even the messaging from the team on social media and things of that nature. He is treated like a franchise quarterback, as he should be, because he was drafted in the top 10. He's shown a lot of promise. He got the team to the playoffs last year. So there is an element of that. And in a town like this one where people you know, love this team and it's got a small town feel, you're going to be a bit of a, a local celebrity. And I think that, you know, there could be an element of that, of what you're talking about with Sean McDermott to say, like, you've still got to earn it. You know, mm-hmm. you, you still have to silence a lot of people, um, especially, particularly outside this town, um, less so people inside the town. I think people have bought into this guy, certainly in the fan base to this point, but you need to continue to earn it. Uh, he has not arrived as that that you know franchise-level quarterback, that top 10 or 15 quarterback in the NFL. And sometimes it can be easy to, to forget that, and especially when you see how he's, how he's talked about locally and, and how um, you know certainly the, the team markets him and different things like that. So yeah, I think it's a, a good you know chance for for Sean McDermott to hold him to the same standard that he holds everybody else. Uh, you know, you can't ask one group of guys to have to earn everything they get and then anoint another guy. So we'll see. I think it's uh, Josh Allen's not a guy that necessarily needs that that motivation, mm-hmm. but it never hurts to to keep a guy focused. And like you said, McDermott is typically someone who's choosing his words carefully and, you know, doing things one or two steps ahead. So I I think there, there might've been, you know, some of that there. Yeah. And I also found, found it interesting that these comments come after the extension, of course, and where maybe there's a little bit of confidence in McDermott knowing he's here for the long haul, whether it's with or without Josh Allen. I I just wonder if, if that's uh, that's part of it too. Yeah, you know, I think it's, um, you know, I just I appreciate the 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 honesty and some of the Same. the human you know component to it of 
having the same thing on his mind that everybody else does and, um, you know, not finding a way to avoid it, um, considering it is the main topic of conversation surrounding this team. And we didn't really get into Josh Allen too much, um, Mm -mm. but he's looked pretty good through a couple practices. Um, Again, I hesitate to say after two practices he's a changed man or he's not a changed man (laughs) um, one way or the other. I've got him at 63% in 11-on-11 drills, 28 for 44. Um, You know, pretty good. Had a nice touchdown to John Brown uh, at the end of Monday's practice. Had a couple of uh, interceptions on Tuesday, but um, I like to keep more of a – get a bigger sample size before we, you know, can compare how he looked this camp to last camp. Um, and we don't have that yet, but, um, he hasn't looked like a disaster either. So, um, <laughs> you know, there's that, um, you know, so that, feel comfort. Feel you'd rather, you would, yeah, you wouldn't want, uh, you wouldn't want to hear that, you know, Josh Allen is throwing passes out onto Abbott drive, um, and you know, not or Abbott road, not Abbott drive. Uh, and not hitting uh, hitting his you know anywhere near his receivers. He's looked pretty good. Uh, uh, to this also, a lot of hospitality tents out there during yeah, practice. Uh, Just saying. hospitality only for the team though. Uh, not uh, yes. not hospitality yes. for the sponsors. Way more tents than usual, and he has not hit any of them yet. So that's a good Wait, sign. Leg up, leg up. Yes, and and to his credit, I mean Cole Beasley said something along these lines on Tuesday. How. He, how Allen is throwing or attempting passes that he wouldn't even think about um, last year and said he's starting to throw guys open a bit, which is a kind of a double-edged sword because it's like you want that guy to, to be doing that before this point, but all the same, it's good that he's now starting to do it. And actually, you know, seeing him do that from, from my perspective you know, having delivering a ball before Stefan Diggs was even into his break, and then when uh, when Diggs put his hands up, the ball was right there for him. That was it was it was a perfectly timed pass, and those are the types of things that he needs to do to maximize output and maximize drives and become that next guy. But he also needs to stop holding on to the ball so darn long and creating pressure in the backfield by himself. That's that's a that's another thing he needs to work on. But it is an ever-evolving process with, with Josh Allen. And as we all know, it's a humongous year for him. And thankfully, we have started to hear that the head coach is, is thinking along the same ways too. So um, it's, it's definitely going to be an intriguing uh, run-up to the regular season and to figure out exactly who Josh Allen will be this year and who he will become in the uh, the annals of Bill's franchise history uh, by the time this year is over, or maybe by the time the next couple of years are over. We'll see. All right, Matthew Fairburn, any uh, fond words of farewell until uh, next week when we meet all our podcast friends again? No, we will have lots. We will have more podcasts. We will have more, uh, plenty more to, to read uh, for everybody uh, in the coming mm-hmm. days. Uh, feels good to be back back in the flow of, of covering the season to give people an idea will be what do we got about 11 more of these practices through about the 31st I think we're allowed to watch practice and then it goes into regular season rules where 
we'll be back locked down working working from home but um but we'll still be able to get to see like 25 minutes or, or something like yeah, that. yeah as long as the weather stays nice because right yes. now we're outside and you know things are um you know working that way but yeah mm-hmm. it'll be it, it's been it's felt somewhat normal um which is good and we've got got plenty more to come yep and uh if you haven't yet subscribed over to the athletic our podcast listeners let me tell you our our deal is running better than than what's going on uh with with the rest of the site so go ahead go to the athletic.com slash the buffalo beat and i'm looking at it right now i i popped up an incognito window and it said get 40 percent off quality ad-free sports coverage so you get 40 percent off a yearly subscription comes out to 35.99 for for the year so go ahead go do that get all the observations that you can handle all the in-depth reporting from practices from matthew fairburn and i we'll have some other features coming down the pipeline there will be plenty of of roster related items too if if that's your bag and if you like teams other than the bills then you can basically uh read about any team (laughs) in the continental united states canada um and of course our friends over in the uk with how they cover the premier league and and even the efl championship so a lot of good things and uh for right now by going to the athletic.com slash the buffalo beat for the low price of $2.99 a month $36 for the year all right that'll do it for us uh my name is joe biscalia for matthew fairburn thank you for listening to us here on the buffalo beat and we will talk to you next week when we are a full week through of buffalo Bills see you then